Welcome to Software Security Chat Chat number 233 for the 25th of February, 2016. It's John Shire filling in for Chester this week as he is away. Joining me is Paul Ducklin. Good afternoon, Paul. Hello, John. So I want to kick off the discussion this week uh, by talking about something that made me extremely proud to be a Sophos employee. And um, I'm going to do it by way of talking about the Apple story, that of Apple being uh, compelled to basically unlock an an iPhone 5C uh, for the San Bernardino investigation. What Sophos did this week is we we published our stance on backdoors and specifically the fact that we do not support the use of backdoors, whether it's being compelled by government or uh, just simply by uh, programmatically adding them to our own products. And, uh, you know, it's really nice when, you know, your own personal ethics and, and feelings about technology uh, align really well with that of your employers. And in this case, uh, they couldn't align any better. So if, if anybody's actually interested in the full statement, you can find that at sophos.com slash no backdoors. And, and this is something that I know is near and dear to my heart. It's, uh, and I, I do speak for Chester on this piece as well, because we did speak about it just the other day, he and I. And uh, I believe that you're on board as well, aren't you, Paul? Yes, uh, that No Backdoors page is great because we, we put forward four principles that uh, kind of inform our position. And those go around things like the social contract that the government has with its citizens, the importance of encryption for the economy, why we need encryption for cybersecurity and shouldn't mess around with it, uh, why privacy and security for individuals are all important. But I think to me, the overarching thing, which is very clearly mentioned on our positioning page, is the very, very simple point that you can't make something stronger by making it weaker. It just kind of beggars belief that anyone would want to try to do that. We tried it before with encryption in the 90s by the US deciding that US companies could only export encryption ciphers that were deliberately weakened, and it did not end well. There's just no way of making something weak uh, for now and in perpetuity because that perpetuity never exists in the first place. Absolutely. So that's great. No back doors, hey? No back doors indeed. And I think it's a great day for Sophos and it's a great day for Sophos customers who really don't have to worry about the question of whether or not uh, we will ever put a back door in our software. The answer to that question is very simply and strongly, no, we won't. You know, if any regulators are listening, we absolutely approve of the idea that you would go out and put regulatory pressure on companies to say, you know, if you collect data about people, then you jolly well better protect it. And this is the sort of technology we want you to use. You must use strong ciphers. You must implement your encryption properly. You can't use outdated algorithms. You can't knit it yourself and risk all these mistakes because it's really important that you protect this data and you will be in trouble if you don't. Oh, and by the way, these strong algorithms we want you to use, we also require you to use ones that have giant holes in them. Just to re-summarise, You ain't going to make the internet stronger by deliberately making it weaker. Well said. Next story on the docket is one of those uh, types of stories where you kind of want to scratch your head and go, who would have thought they would have looked there for a potential vulnerability? But they did. And this is uh, the mouse jacking story. I think it's uh, a really fun and interesting story with some very serious repercussions. 
And not only that, it comes with another cool name, which uh, you know we haven't seen in a little while. Uh, I haven't yet seen a logo for it. So if somebody wants to get uh, to sketching one for for the mouse jacking uh, vulnerability, maybe uh, we can have a nice logo to go along with with the, uh, the the crazy name. Tell us a little bit more about this vulnerability and and exactly what was found and what we can maybe do to protect ourselves. Well, the researchers from this company called uh, Bastille Networks in the U.S. Uh, they took a 2.4 gigahertz wireless transmission dongle that actually goes with an open source drone, believe it or not. And they were able to build some special firmware for that dongle that effectively turned it into what you might call a network sniffer for the mice and keyboards that use this same sort of technology and that are widespread in the market. Just to be clear, this research does not apply to Bluetooth mice and keyboards. If you have those, you can stand down from Blue Alert. What it meant is they were able to kind of analyze the data stream that comes from the average uh, wireless mouse and keyboard. And they found that the, if you like, the network stack and the cryptographic protocols that were in use for many of these devices were simply not up to scratch. So, for example, mouse data was generally unencrypted. So you could not only inject new mouse movements and clicks from somewhere in the vicinity of somebody else's computer, uh, but you could also look at what their mouse was doing because there was no encryption. Even worse, they, they also found that in many devices, even when encryption was in use, you could pair a rogue device, perhaps from many meters away, in a way that the user wouldn't be able to control or notice or prevent. So in other words, I could be sitting there at the coffee shop with my wireless mouse plugged in and it's all working fine. And I know I don't have a wireless keyboard, so I don't even think about such things. And the guy three tables away could, in theory, connect his imposter keyboard to my device. And then while I'm working, he can actually type stuff in or delete things that I'm typing or mess around with what I'm doing. Although it would be quite difficult to exploit this, it is quite a serious vulnerability. It really goes to show, too, that uh, you know, doing crypto right is difficult, isn't it? It certainly does. And you can imagine if this is the sort of security problem that you find in a kind of product that's been on the market for many years, that is sort of an Internet of Things device, then it doesn't bode well for all the other Johnny-come-lately rushed out in a hurry cool, new, groovy Internet of Things devices that we might be plugging into our computers in the future because, hey, they're just too cool to avoid. Right. And if you have one of these USB wireless mice or keyboards, you can check the list of vulnerable devices. There's a link to it in in our article. And, you know, we don't generally do any kind of product pitch on the Chet Chat, but um, this is one of those instances where device control might actually be uh, one of those things that you might want to use in the interim, while you have people that might be using these vulnerable devices, you could turn on uh, device control to block access to any unauthorized USB devices until you can make sure that uh, all the devices that are in your environment uh, have passed muster. Maybe this will get device control back on the agenda, because I think that will be something that lots of people will want to consider when it comes to protecting against this plethora of new and cool IoT devices that is flooding onto the market. 
And speaking of IoT, you wrote an article on Naked Security last week about, uh, well, you've written about a couple IoT devices. One was a, uh, a web camera that uh, basically surveilled everything over HTTP so everybody could look at it. And this time we've got a DVR, which basically has a hard-coded password. So again, let's everybody look at what you're doing. Uh, we did speak at some length earlier about backdoors and why they're a terribly bad idea, like hiding the key under the doormat when you go on holiday in case you lose your copy. And it's all going to be fine as long as nobody thinks to look under the doormat, because nobody would ever do that. And uh, this particular device has a six-digit hard-coded root password that you can't change that will always work. Uh, just in case you should forget your carefully thought out secure password that allows you into the system to control the cameras, view the images, watch the stream video and so forth. Don't hardwire backdoor passwords into your surveillance cameras. It leaves them wide open to anybody who wants to look. It rather defeats the object of the product. It certainly does. A security device that is made deliberately insecure. Let's uh, talk about another interesting story this week. Uh, this has to do with the dark web, which appeared to have gotten a little bit bigger this week. Uh, actually, apparently got 50% bigger uh, from basically 40,000 unique .onion sites to just over 60,000. And this really left researchers wondering why. There seem to be two schools of thought. One says the increase is due to the fact that the crooks behind the Locky ransomware are using loads and loads of new dot onion sites to collect their money. And others are saying, well, actually, that date when it started going up around about the middle of February also happens to coincide with a whole lot of positive publicity that a new anonymous instant messaging system called Ricochet received. And Ricochet relies on creating uh, .onion sites inside Tor for each person who uses the client. It's an almost amusing irony, isn't it? We've got this increase in the dark web. And remember, it's dark because there is no light shone upon it. Not dark because it is unrepentantly evil. Um, however, there is a lot of evil stuff that does go on in the dark web. And this increase, we now can't tell whether it's actually the good guys causing it or the bad guys. In a way, you could say that that means that Taurus done what it intended. The fact that we're not sure is almost a good sign about the degree to which it can provide that anonymity and untrackable web browsing capability that was its intention in the first place. Yeah, that's a good point. And the mystery actually deepened a little bit because in the last few days since the article was published on the original research, it seems that... Uh, that number has fallen by 50% of the increase again, down to 50,000. <laughs> yes. So a nice little spike in the chart. Sort of reminiscent of the Bitcoin exchange rate, isn't it? <laughs> it sure is. All right. So while that was interesting, uh, here's something that's a bit more serious. Uh, it would appear that um, one of the world's biggest, uh, actually the world's biggest Linux distribution uh, was found to be infected with malware. And that is... Oh, John, you can't say that. My goodness, did we get a hammering for saying Linux Mint is the biggest distro. Because, of course, the Debian fans don't like that because Debian's the one true way. All right. Well, I'll concede to that point. But as an Arch Linux user, there is only one distro 
that matters. And that is Slackware. <laughs> and welcome to the world of Linux, folks. So anyways, um, it appears that a very small subset of Linux Mint distributions were affected, which is the good news. Um, so basically, Linux Mint Cinnamon... Well, actually, John, it, it's a little more subtle than that. In fact, the malware, which is a, a remote control bot, something that lets somebody take over your computer remotely, that was actually packaged into the installer for at least the 64-bit version of the cinnamon flavor of Linux Mint. Uh, and basically, the crooks did this, fortunately, without hacking the Linux Mint distro. So that's good news. It means they didn't get right inside, but it does show how important that sort of perimeter security is just for the look and feel of your website. Basically, if you went to the download page and you click the download button, that's where the crooks had got in. That's where they'd made the modification due to an insecure setting on a WordPress installation. And that was enough for them to send you off to an imposter site where you download a legit looking ISO, which was absolutely the same as the real one, except for what you call a little bit of extra secret source, which was a, uh, a, a Trojan horse called Linux slash Tsunami A. It appears to be quite an old uh, piece of malware, doesn't it? Yes, and coolly, it's kind of, the I, I guess, the closest thing you get to open source malware. You can get the source code, which is probably why the guys chose it. Now, speaking of advice, uh, we do give away Sophos Antivirus for Linux. So if you want to take our advice, we think you should be running that on your systems, whether they're at home or at work. And while we're talking about free products, you can also get Sophos Home for your Windows and Mac machines. It is completely hosted in the cloud, which means you don't have a management backend to worry about. We'll take care of all that. All that you need to do is install the agents on your machines and do the management from the cloud. It's as easy as that. John, you forgot something really important. If you're going to be in San Francisco from this weekend on for the RSA conference, please stop by the Sophos booth in the exhibition hall where you can see John and Chester and a bunch of other of our colleagues doing presentations both uh, on the booth uh, and in the conference streams. If you don't have a ticket to get into the expo hall, go to sophos.com slash RSA 2016 and you can register for an expo pass for free. And on that good note, I'll conclude Sophos Chatless Chat number 233. As usual, for all of your security news, please go to nakedsecurity.sophos.com. If you enjoyed this podcast and would like to hear more, including our techno podcast, you can find them on iTunes, the TuneIn app, and at soundcloud.com slash sophosecurity. And until next time, stay secure.